right, happy fall, everybody. Great to see you guys. Welcome to Liquid Church. Special welcome to all our campuses joining us uh, around the state or through Church Online. Glad you're here for our special six-week groups campaign called Love Comes to Town. Um, if you're new, this is something we do pretty much every fall for six weeks we go on a church-wide journey, uh, all of our small groups at all of our campuses, we kind of come together and we align ourselves around one common biblical theme. Can you guess what this year's theme is? It is love, yes. And uh, what we're going to do is for six weeks, we're going to dive deep into God's word and see what we can learn about loving God and others the way that Jesus did. So if you're new to our church or like you're just returning to church after some time away, this is like the perfect point to jump in. Um, our small groups are actually starting this week, and so you can join once. Great way to kind of meet new friends and really grow deeper in your faith and experience community. Um, we have groups for every age and stage. So if you're single or married, we've got, you know, young couples groups. We've got, you know, single guys groups. We've got uh, groups for millennials, uh, seniors, even our high schoolers are following along. And you can pick up, this is the most important part, one of these snazzy groups guides uh, for the entire uh, series. They actually, I'm going to encourage you to bring them on Sundays because you can actually take notes and then you're going to see the discussion questions that your small groups are going to dive into later in the week. So this is a great way to kind of interact with the scripture during the service. Now, this is going to be a lot of fun uh, because love, as you may know, it's a verb and it requires action. And at the end of the series, all of our small groups are going to go out to serve together in this epic outreach we're calling Love Week. Now, here's the deal. I need your help. Don't just say, oh, Love Week is coming. I need you to say Love Week, and I want you to say the word love like Barry White would say it. <laughs> love Week. You ready? One, two, three. Love Week. Sit back, get yourself some cherry wine, right? That is like, that. yeah, that's what we want. We want the love to flow. We're going to get out of our seats and into the streets and really just love on our neighbors in need, homeless veterans, uh, single moms, uh, battered women, the elderly, kids with special needs. We're just going to kind of let the love flow out of our church into the streets and alleys, the driveways and the gyms and the coffee shops, you know, of all the towns and cities we live. So that's kind of the vision for Love's Coming to Town, and I'm glad you're along for the ride. Now today, I want to begin by asking you a critical question. This is like a very important question in your life. How would you complete this sentence? Are you ready? My number one goal in life is dot, dot, dot. And don't answer this right away. I want you to think about this for a little bit. My number one goal in life is what words or phrase, short phrase maybe, would you use to complete that? Um, like some of you might say, um, you know, my number one goal is to be happy. Uh, or my number one goal in life is to, to be successful in my career, you know, make some money. Uh, or maybe my number one goal in life is to, you know, get married and raise a family. Or, uh, or my number one goal is to retire, right? If I could just make it to Boca Raton. Uh, my, I don't know. How would you answer that question? If this is a very important question. If you haven't thought this one through, you need to give it some critical thought. Because how you answer this question reveals what Rick Warren calls your dominant life principle, or DLP. We, we all have a DLP, or dominant life principle. It's kind of the supreme value in your life through which you filter all decisions and choices. Now, you may not be aware of this, but you use this all the time. Every time you face like a decision, should I do this or that, or you have a choice, you kind of run it through this filter of the DLP and decide what you're going to do based on your dominant life principle. For instance, if my dominant life principle is to have fun, 
um, then this weekend, if I get a couple invitations, I'm going to choose the one that's kind of most amusing or, you know, I think is fun to do. So if I'm committed to dinner with my parents, but then my buddies come around last minute, hey, we're going to the movies, I'm going to the movies, right? Because that's my dominant life principle, having fun. Uh, if your dominant life principle is making money, okay, then you're going to tend to choose the most lucrative thing to do, right? I'm going to choose what has the greatest potential to kind of beef up my bank account. You know, I wish I could go to my kid's game on Saturday, but phew, I got to work. I can't afford not to work. You know, I got to be there. I, I got to get ahead. I don't want anyone to get ahead of me, right? If my DLP is safety, you're going to choose pretty much always the safest route in life, right? Like, I'm not going on a missions trip. Why would you do This is a dangerous world. There's earthquakes and hurricanes and bears. Oh, my. Uh, I'm going to always make whatever's the safest choice. If your dominant life principle is approval, and for a lot of people it is, you're going to do whatever's most popular with others. What is going to get me the most applause or the thumbs up from other people? Does that make sense? It's important that you answer this question. My, my number one goal in life is because it really will affect all your other decisions and relationships. Now, what does God have to say about this? Well, a lot, in fact. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God says these words. He says, let love be your what? Let's say the words in bold together. Be your highest goal. In other words, what's number one? Love. And according to God, it's not status. It's not success or your possessions. It's not your power, your prestige, your influence. It's not really comfort or money. According to God, what's the dominant life principle by which all decisions in your world should be measured? Love. Love is supreme. It's the number one goal of life according to God's word. Now, why does God say that? Let love be your highest goal. And the answer is really simple. Because God is love. And you are his child. And your daddy wants you to be like him. In other words, God is love. The Bible actually says that God created everyone and everything in the universe out of love. God is not this static God in the sky. He exists in this perfect relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, this crackling relationship of dynamic love. And they made everything in order to love it. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that God, that God has love. It says God is love. It's his very definition. It defines him. And he created you as an object of his love. And he wants you to be like him. Have you ever wondered why, like, God didn't, like, just create you and just, like, automatically take you to heaven? You ever wonder that? Like, like, why does he let us spend 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth in a broken world <laughs> where there is sin, there's suffering, there's brokenness, there's sadness, there's problems, there's pressures, there's stress? Like, why doesn't God just create you and take you directly to heaven? And the answer is this. He put you here on this earth in order to learn how to love how to love others like his son Jesus loves you. In fact, one day as Jesus was kind of walking down the street, uh, he came upon this lawyer, and the attorney asked him, he says, Lord, what's the greatest command in the Bible? Like if you had to sum the whole thing up of all the things in the Bible, what should I focus on? And Jesus was like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> he goes, actually, I'm going to give you two things. If you get these two things right, you will understand the purpose of your entire life. It's called the great commandment. In Mark 12, Jesus said this. He said, love, let's say it together, the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commands more important than these. Notice Jesus gave a two-for-one answer, right? He says, nothing in the world, 
Uh, nothing in your Bible is more important than these two things. You learn to love first God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the vertical part. And secondly, learn to love everybody else. Did I miss anybody? <laughs> he says, if you get these two things, which are really one thing, you understand what God put you on this planet to do. Because life is all about learning to love like Jesus. And guys, everything else is noise. Everything else, God says, is secondary. Let love be your highest goal. Once you've learned how to love God and others, you are ready to come to heaven. So I want you to think about this. If you spend your entire life, it doesn't matter how much you acquire. doesn't matter how much you accomplish. It doesn't matter what you achieve or how famous you become. None of it matters. One day you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, so did you learn? Did you learn to love me? Because that's why I sent Jesus Christ, so you could learn to love others the way my son has loved you. That's what I put you on earth to do. And if you miss this, zzz, wrong answer. Life is all about love. It's why you guys are about to see thousands of people across New Jersey wearing these red t-shirts for the next six weeks. As a reminder, life is all about love. <laughs> In fact, God is so serious about this. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, he says this. What's the word here? Everything you do must be done with what? Love. Now, look at that word, everything. What does that include? How about everything, right? Like, think about everything that you do tomorrow, Monday morning. Like, does everything mean writing emails? Every email you write must be done with love. Yes. <laughs> Some of you need to write this down and put it on your keyboard or on your phone. Everything I text should be done with love. Uh, everything. Does that include... Um, you know, ordering fast food or, or pizza tonight or Chinese, and I call, and I can't really understand the speaker because it's their secondary language. Everything you order must be done with love. <laughs> does it mean, um, does that include finding a parking spot at the mall, you know, where, where, where the other person wants, and they cut in, and they give you the one-finger jersey salute, like, read between the lines, bro. Uh, yeah, every time you park must be done with love. Does this include being nice to people who vote differently than you? Yes, everything you post on Facebook must be posted with love, right? Because life is all about relationships. And relationships are about sacrificial love. I wish I had realized this 19 years ago when Colleen and I got married. Uh, we were young. Yeah, oh, who are those thin people? Uh, we were young and in love, or at least we thought, at least we were attracted to each other. And we believed that God had brought us together. We were both committed followers of Christ. But in the early years, I don't know how else to put it, we just didn't get along. <laughs> First couple years of our marriage, there was constant friction. I grew up in a pretty tight family uh, that had certain ideas of how things should be done. And Kyle grew up in an Italian family that had certain ideas about how arguments should be won. And... Um, <laughs> We fought a lot in our first couple years, and many nights, I just remember, she went to bed frustrated with me, uh, and many nights, I just felt angry and misunderstood. I remember thinking, like, you know, I saved myself for this. I'm serious. Like, it was that, that was, I'm not exaggerating. In fact, I think, I think we would be divorced today, except that we had made a commitment. We made this vow before God, right, for better or worse, till death do us part. And so we kind of locked the escape hatch, and we threw away the key. And we said, you know what? We're not going to get divorced even if this thing kills us. It almost did, okay? <laughs> Colleen thought she would go crazy from the daily tension of those first few years. And um, 
I remember getting so angry. I got almost so angry, like I got, almost got sick because I was swallowing my anger because I thought, well, I can't get mad. Jesus would never want me to be mad until one day I couldn't take it anymore and it came bubbling out and I actually punched the closet door and splintered the door. It's not, I'm not like super strong. There's like a panel, you know, like a plywood in the middle, like the splinter that, the panel and the paint and everything, like all of that. I still have one swollen knuckle, all right? That's how angry and frustrated I was 19 years ago. And finally, after a couple, you know, kind of up and down years, we like scraped enough money together. We swallowed our pride and said, you know, we're going to go get some counseling. And we found a good Christian counselor, and I'll never forget this. It cost us 125 bucks a session. I'm like, for 50 minutes? I was a teacher at the time. That was my like entire stipend, you know, for like yearbook. And I remember the pain in writing that $125, $125 week after week. But guess what? That counseling was priceless. God used that to really rescue our marriage. You know, I don't, I don't understand, honestly, like when couples will say to me, they'll say like, Tim, we can't afford counseling. And I'm like, well, how much is your marriage worth? You know what? If, if, you're, many, if you're in a miserable relationship right now, I'd say you can't afford not to get counseling. Because honestly, guys, I'd pay a million dollars for what Colleen and I have today. She is my best friend. I'd pay five million. I'd give everything I got. She's my lover, my confidant. We started this church together when we taught a Sunday school class. And and whenever I can, like, squeeze an hour off or an afternoon, guess who who I want to spend time with? Her. I don't actually call up my buddies and say, let's go golfing. I'm actually a little antisocial that way. I'm like, I want to be with her. She's my number one priority, and I love her with all my life. You know, it's funny, I asked Colleen, I was like, you know, you remember back, sweetheart, like those early years, and, uh, and I was like, did you ever, you know, contemplate divorce? And she's like, no, divorce never. Murder sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, looking back, I'm so glad we didn't give up on our marriage, but I'm more glad God didn't give up on us. I can tell you that today we have an incredible marriage for one reason, because we learned to love and accept each other like Jesus does. No marriage is perfect. We still disagree with each other. We still cross wires, push buttons, step on each other's toes. But as we approach 20 years, I can honestly say I'm hopelessly, deliriously in love with my wife. Why? Because when Christ's love comes into you, it changes you. See, human love wears out. It is finite. It is limited. But God's love is limitless. It lasts forever. It never runs dry. And Christ can keep filling you. Filling you with his joy, with forgiveness, with hope, with mercy every day as you go back to Jesus daily to get your love tank filled up. And so that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. We're going to learn about the kind of supernatural love that Jesus can give you that transforms relationships with those in your life that you love the most, right? It could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your, your kids or your relatives, neighbors, a co-worker, even the hard-to-love ones. And I can't guarantee, guys, that God's going to, you know, change your relationship in six weeks. But I guarantee this. If you give Christ full access to your heart, his love will change you. And as you change, guess what? Those around you change. Your relationships begin to transform. I'm I'm not saying this is going to be easy. In fact, I'll just give you a preview. This is going to be a little bit difficult. For the next six weeks, we're going to cover some pretty pretty rocky terrain. And I just want to give you a little preview today of of where we're going. If you uh, open your group's guide to the table of contents here, you'll see an outline of our journey over the next six weeks. Today, I'm going to talk about the gong show. I'm going to introduce you to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible. And next week's message is called Love Actually. We got that from the title of a movie. Have you seen Love Actually? 
We're not going to talk about romantic movie love, but really the highest kind of love, according to God, is sacrificial love, where you learn to love somebody who's actually unlovable, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's easy to, you know, love people who like you, who are nice to you. That's easy. It costs you nothing, right? But God says the highest form of mature love is when you act loving to a person who actually isn't responding positively to you. And let's be honest, it's loving people when you don't even feel like loving. You ever notice that? You actually can love even when you don't feel like it. Parents, you know this. Some of you got little kids, right? When you have a newborn baby, right, and you have to wake up five or six times a night to go check on that little baby, you don't do it because you're like, I feel the love. You know, I have had too much sleep. I think I'm going to go in and love that little baby, right? No. You want to go in, you want to take that little baby in your arms and put him in a drawer and close it and walk back to sleep. But you don't do that, right? It's because it's a loving thing to do. Anyone who has ever held a sick pan for a loved one who's nauseated or vomiting and you hold their hair back, you don't feel like doing that. You're doing that because it's what they needed. You were being loving while they were sick. You were giving them what they needed, not what you felt like doing. That's the highest form of love, according to Jesus. When you're patient with somebody who's irritable, a clerk who's being a jerk, you know, at the store, and it's like everything in you wants to be sarcastic back to them, and instead you respond with kindness and patience to that clerk who's being a jerk, and you don't give him what he deserves, but what he needs, that's love. So week three, it's called Like a Good Neighbor. State Farm is there? Not really. Just Like a Good Neighbor, and it's about how love crosses the street and builds a bridge to others who aren't like us. Week four is called to tell you the truth. And we're going to ask, you know, how do you actually speak the truth in love? How do you have healthy conflict? How do you like tell people the truth without crushing them, you know, or dropping a whammy on them? And week five is my favorite. It's a message I titled Triggered. It's all about anger. Um, In counseling, I was actually shocked to learn that anger isn't a sin. Did you know that? Anger is an emotion. It's a misunderstood emotion. But learning to actually express your anger in a healthy way is vital if you're going to have a loving relationship. The key is you have to learn how to constructively express it instead of just dropping a nuke, you know, a nuclear bomb on top of people. And then week six is everlasting love, where we'll learn the secrets of making love last a whole lifetime. So this is the journey we're going on together, guys, for six weeks. It's going to be insightful. It's going to be honest. I think it may be honestly a little painful as it grows and stretches some of you. But the ultimate goal here, it's just like working out, is to grow you, to to exercise your love muscle so that you can build it even stronger. Because the whole goal of your life is to grow deeper in love with God and others. Remember, if you don't learn how to love, from God's perspective, it's like your life, it's a failure. It all comes down to two things, Jesus says, and they're really the same thing, loving God and loving others. So let me ask this to kick us off. How are you doing with that? If you turn in your group's guide to page 6, You'll see that question, how deep is your love right now? And next to it is a little quiz or kind of a self-assessment I actually want us to complete right now. So we gave you a pen today. Everyone got a liquid pen? Can we hear the clicking of the pens at all of our campuses? And if you take that out, in the red box, you'll notice it says, take a moment to rate the quality of your relationships. Where there's a blank line, fill in the name of a significant person. So look at the list. There's a scale that goes 1 to 10, kind of poor to great, and try to be honest, okay? This is not meant to make you feel bad. We all struggle. This isn't guilt comes to town. It's love comes to town, all right? The purpose is like, just assess honestly where your relationships are right now. So how about starting with your parents here, right? 
You know, where would you put that uh, with, with your parents, your mom and dad? Would you say, oh, it's poor, it's rocky, or it's going great? Or I realize it's somewhere in between. Some person's three is another person's five. We're not comparing with each other. We're just try, trying to be honest. By the way, if you say, well, you know, my parent, you know, my parents are dead. Did you know this? You could still improve your relationship with your parents by your attitude towards them, by your thoughts towards them. So there may be some work that you have to do there. Uh, if you're single, how about your dating prospects or your marriage prospects, okay? Marriage is a God-given desire. If you are single and you want to get married, um, that is awesome. Our church is actually here to help you. A church is a great place to find a mate, you know? Don't go to a liquid bar. Go to a liquid church. Uh, so you're in the right place. Uh, but here's the thing. To be marriage material, you're going to have to work on being less self-centered and more others-focused, okay? So fill that up if you're single. And if you're married, how about your spouse or your partner, your husband or wife, you know? How's your relationship right now? Be brutally honest. You know, maybe you're like, hey, Tim, we were where you and Colleen were 19 years ago. The question that we're asking is, how can you take a relationship that's struggling and go one click up during the series? Or if you're like in a good place, hey, we're seven, how can you take a relationship that's good and make it great, even better? How about a relative? Maybe you have a brother or sister, you were close once, but they're a little bit estranged now. Just fill in their name there. Or a coworker, someone you work closely with. Maybe somebody you had a conflict with at work, and you say, you know what, Lord, for the next six weeks, I want you to teach me how to be more patient and kind and really love that coworker you've put in my life. Neighbor, number six, maybe uh, you have a nasty neighbor. Does anyone have a nasty neighbor here? Write down the name of a neighbor who maybe you want God to work on, commit that relationship. Or uh, be specific. This is number seven. It says diff a difficult person. How many of you have a difficult person in your life? Okay, let's just be honest here. Don't point to them, James. That's not polite. Don't you just go, he's right here. I brought him to church, okay? Don't draw an arrow. Just write their name in there. Someone who's hard to love. Maybe they don't respond well when you're even trying to love them. How about that kind of person? God, God is up to big challenges. So I want you to think of the person who you're like, there is no way I could love them. Write their name right in there. You circle one and you watch what God does. What God can do over six weeks, guys. There's one last group here. It says children, okay? Um, for some of you, you may want to write in the name of your son or daughter, right? I want to work on being more patient with my son so-and-so. Or I need help loving my daughter. You know, she's, she's a teenager. She's in college. She's so prickly. She's always sarcastic and cynical. I, I need help with that, Lord. I want you to write their name in there. And be honest. In fact, let me be honest. True confession. I, I filled this out this week, anticipation of Sunday, and I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't do so well on the quiz, honestly. There are still a lot of areas in my life that I'm like, oh, Lord, I have to talk about this. <laughs> and yet I can be so selfish. I can so quickly, like that, focus on myself and completely ignore my family and be pushy with my staff. And I, I just want to challenge you to be honest about this because here's the encouraging thing, guys. All of us need work. And with God's love, the way it works is this. Just a little bit of growth in you has an impact on all these relationships in your life. God's love is such a powerful thing that when you change just a little bit, these relationships begin to change. All these people begin experiencing, not your frail human love anymore, but the love of Jesus flowing through you. And guess what happens? Health begins to bloom. Health germinates. So finish this self-assessment. And then in your small group this week, we're going to ask you just to share one or two relationships. You feel God kind of nudging you that you want to work on during this series. You want to commit these to the Lord and ask him to help you grow your relationship this, this fall with his love. 
And that's the thing, guys. It can't be your love, right? <laughs> this is the love of Jesus Christ that we're accessing that has the power to change us. Just trying harder to be loving. I'm going to be more loving. It never works, right? This isn't like a self-help, like, be a kinder, gentler, Ned Flanders Christian. It's not that, right? It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting God. Most marriage seminars are like, you know, do this, don't do that, try harder. It's not about trying hard. It's about trusting Jesus. It's saying, I don't have this love. And so, Jesus, I want to love others as you've loved me. And you may be like, well, Tim, I could never do that. Guess what? You're right. You can't do that. You cannot will yourself to be more loving person. Human effort always falls short. The key is to invite Jesus Christ to live his life in love through you. So you experience the love of God first in your heart because you can't, you can never, you guys know the principle, you can never give to other people what you haven't experienced yourself. You have to take it in first. We love him because he first loved us. So after you first receive God's love, you feel Christ's forgiveness, you feel his grace, you get his mercy, it starts to bubble up out of you. But you've got to give Christ full access to your heart, guys. Just being like, I'm going to imitate Jesus. It won't work. Don't try harder. Trust God more. Give him full access this fall and invite Christ to actually live his life through yours. Let me show you how this works. I wanted to illustrate this in a way that will send you to your groups with like an image burned in your mind. And in the Bible, the greatest chapter on love is 1 Corinthians 13. This is often called the love chapter. And uh, you hear it read at weddings all the time, right? Like love is patient, love is kind. It kind of sounds like a Hallmark card, right? Let's be honest. And we're going to anchor ourselves in Corinthians during this series. But I want to spotlight to you an image that Paul uses here in the opening of 1 Corinthians 13. I think this powerfully kind of illustrates what, what we're talking about. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to Christians who were living in the city of Corinth. And when he opens the letter of chapter 13, he says this. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't what? Didn't say it together. Love others. I would only be a what? Noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now, this is important. Paul's a preacher. He's trying to get the church to understand. He's like, guys, he's wearing the T-shirt. Nothing's more important than this, right? Specifically, loving others sacrificially. And he says, you know what? If I could speak in all the languages of men, so I'm a gifted speaker, uh, of men and of, of angels, you know, I'm, a, I'm an anointed orator, you know? He says, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't love other people, you know how God sees you? Like what? This. He goes, this is you. In other words, this is what your life sounds like in God's ears when you don't love. Are you ready? <laughs> Nothing you say matters. It's all just noise. God says, you live life without love, it's empty, it's deafening, it's annoying. A noisy gong or what? Clanging cymbal. In Corinth, they used tin and brass. They actually beat drums like this to call people to pagan worship. And so when Paul says this, they would have had this. That was their alarm clock in the morning. And it wasn't helpful, it was annoying. I see some of you are like, you're not going to keep doing that, are you? Right? Yeah, that's the point. Paul is actually about to make this point four times in a row, so brace yourself. He says, if, if you don't live a life of love, nothing you say matters, and nothing you know matters either. doesn't matter how brilliant or smart or intellectual you are. Look at verse 2. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy, 
And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, in other words, I'm an intellectual, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't what? Love others, I would be nothing. So Paul's like, okay, I get it. You graduated, you know, magna cum laude. Uh, you were Phi Beta Kappa. You know, he's got a master's degree. She's got a doctorate. You have more degrees than Fahrenheit. I get it. You're a genius, right? He's a walking Bible encyclopedia. But God says, if you don't love others, you are what? A. It's the God. You're just noise. You can be brilliant. You could be smart, a genius seminary professor. But nothing you say, nothing you know will matter. You're just a noisy gong. You are the gong show. Anybody here remember the gong show from the 70s, the early one? All right, we're dating ourselves a little. Uh, ABC is actually trying to revive it this fall with Mike Myers. That's Mike Myers in, in costume there. But the gong show is basically a talent show where amateurs, you know, they, they put on like a they show their skills to a panel of celebrity judges. And basically, some of the acts are so bad. <laughs> it's like a guy riding a unicycle, playing a kazoo with a dachshund on his shoulder. Like, it's awful that the judges are able to say, oh, my gosh, he's not getting any points. And they take the mallet and they... And the guy has to stop. They kick him off the stage and you get zero points. Your act counts for nothing. Guys, that's what God is saying to you. He says, if you speak in the tongue of men and angels, if you have the gift of knowledge, you got a faith that can move mountains, and you don't love others, that's your life. You get zero. Zilch. Nada. Your life counts for nothing. Now, I know this seems a bit extreme, right? You're like, dude, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, there's a lot of things you can do that would prove how spiritual you are. Like, you know, what if I give money to the poor? <laughs> What if I become a missionary? What if I travel the foreign lands? I become a martyr for the faith. Paul's like, I know what you're thinking. Verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, I'm a martyr. But I have that love, I'm what? Nothing. In other words, in God's eyes, you can give money, you can be a missionary, you can be a martyr, and it's worth nothing. Do I need to repeat myself? You're like, no, got it, thank you. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? Paul's like, you give all the money you want to charity, but guess what? Giving doesn't necessarily mean loving. A lot of people give for different motives, right? Give for prestige. They want to get their name on a plaque. And let's be honest, sometimes it's easier to write a check than roll up your sleeves and get involved in the messiness of somebody's life. But the Bible says if you don't give out a sacrificial love for other people, none of your giving counts. You know, I had a guy say to me, you know, Tim, I don't understand it. You know, I buy my wife everything she wants. <laughs> I basically give my kids everything they ask for. But my wife is cold to me. My kids don't even talk to me. I've given them everything they wanted. I'm saying, yeah, but did you give them what they needed? Did you give them love? See, guys, you know, your parents, you know, you can't buy your kids. And a lot of parents today try to compensate for their lack of time and their lack of love by buying their kids a lot of crap. <laughs> kids don't need things. Kids need you. Kids need your time. They need to know how much you love them. And love to a kid is spelled T-I-M-E. Quality time requires quantity time. So understand this, guys. You can, you can live a Christian life. You can donate your money. You can achieve a lot. You can accomplish a lot. You can chase after success or status or salary. But if you don't have love, you're what? One more. 
that's your life. It's just noise in the ears of God. And so he says, you got to slow down. you got to slow down and take stock of how you're investing your life. Let love be your what? Highest goal. Because without it, nothing you say, nothing you do, nothing you believe, nothing, nothing you know, nothing you give, nothing you accomplish matters. Do you see why we need six weeks <laughs> to get this into our heart? To make room for love in our, our, our schedules? Can we talk about that? <laughs> has it gotten crazy for you like it has for me? Uh, summer is over, right? And it's back to school and sports and practices and running around. But I wanted you to invite you to take a deep breath. Everyone take a deep breath right now. <sighs> Let it out and ask yourself, did you schedule time this fall to learn to love more like Jesus? Or are you just making more noise, running here and there, distracted, annoyed, keeping people at an arm's length? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like in my 40s now, so I'm like, I figure like halfway there, I guess, <laughs> till I meet Jesus. But I'm like, I don't want to get to heaven and feel like I'm on the gong show, you know? Where God calls my name, and you know, I'm like, oh boy, I hope. I hope he says, well done, you know, good and faithful servant. And it's like, okay, Tim Lucas, step forward. Good sermon. Uh, great church. Awesome people. But dude... None of it counts. You forgot to love, Tim. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, I don't. And so this fall, I want to intentionally make time to be more loving. More loving to my family, more loving to you, more loving to the people I work with. And there's a lot of areas that I need God to work on, if I'm honest. I'm guessing you do too. So I want to ask you, how bad do you want it? Like, how serious do you want to be about becoming a more loving man, a more loving woman, I want to do it in my spare time as long as it doesn't impact my schedule. Bzz, wrong answer. This has to be your DLP, your dominant life principle. you got to decide today that the most important thing for the rest of your life is, you know what, I'm going to learn to love others the way Jesus loves me. Amen? How do you do that? I want to leave you with three action steps that you can take today to get the most out of the next six weeks. For the next six weeks, I want to encourage you and challenge you to commit to come on Sunday. And I want you to actually bring your group's guide with you so that you can follow along and take notes. If you need one of these, by the way, you can get it in the lobby at, this, at the end of this service. I think it's five bucks. But every Sunday, you come ready to participate in worship and hear, you know, preaching with passion. And then go to your group. That's the second step. Beyond the preaching, you need a place to process what you're learning and actually practice it in real life. In Liquid, we believe the Bible is best understood in community uh, among other believers, Christians. And small groups really are a safe place for you to let your hair down, ask questions, dive into scripture, pray with others. So you see how this works on Sunday, you kind of you hear preaching, but then in your group, you process, you pray, and you practice what you're learning. Think of your small group as a love laboratory, a laboratory of love, okay? And then together, let me encourage your small group to sign up to serve. As you know, know this series culminates in this epic outreach we're calling Love Week. And what we are doing is for seven days, we're mobilizing 4,000 volunteers who are going to wear these T-shirts. These are men and women, children, high schoolers, to go out and sacrificially love on our neighbors in our towns and cities across New Jersey. we got a pretty big goal. Um, we want to mobilize 4,000 volunteers to go out and serve 10,000 hours of community service to our neighbors and communities. And so we have planned local outreach projects at your campus. They're specific to campus. Some are serving homeless veterans, 
Some are battered, you know, battered women serving them and beautifying their safe houses, painting them. Kids with special needs, the elderly, you name it, we got it. But you're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come. But let me encourage you. This week, visit liquidchurch.com slash loveweek, and you can see what outreaches are available. And you can actually go on and sign up. And when you sign up to serve, guess what? You get one of these sweet love t-shirts. Some of you are like, I don't want the guide. I want the t-shirt. How do I get that? You sign up to serve. Does that make sense? But guys, this is the adventure our whole church is going on this fall. We committed as staff. We said, you know, we're going to put all of our strength, all of our energy and effort towards this. And here's why. Because one day, Jesus says, you're going to stand before God and be evaluated on why he put you on this planet for 80 plus years. You know, as a pastor, one of the privileges I have is visiting with people in the hospital who are making the transition from earth to eternity. Uh, I did that this summer. I visited a hospital, and one of our congregants was in intensive care, and he took his last breaths, you know, before he left earth to be in the presence of God. And I've always found it interesting. I always listen carefully, like, when I'm with people like that because I realize that the veil of heaven is lifting, and I want to understand what that process is like. And what I've noticed is when people are about to take their last breaths, they make often final requests. And, and here's something that I have never heard somebody say. I, I didn't hear this man say, you know, come close. Bring me my golf trophy to hold one last time. Bring me, bring me my, my bank statements. How much do I have left? I have never heard this. Bring me my diplomas. You know what he said? Bring me the people I love. Bring the people who love me. That's all that he wanted. And that's what all of us want in the last minutes of life. See, you instinctively know that God didn't put you here to live for yourself. He put you on this planet so that you could learn some lessons about how to prepare you for eternity. Did you learn to love God, Father, Son, Spirit with all your heart? And did you learn to love your neighbor as yourself? Your life isn't about achievements, accomplishments, or acquisitions. It's about relationships. And that's why God puts you on this planet to live a life of love. And things can change, guys. I want to close with this story. It's a testimony from a single mom who felt overwhelmed by her children, her schedule, the busyness of her home. And she wrote this in her letter. She said, you know, all I seemed to do was nag and bark at and scold my kids incessantly. And when I looked at myself, I honestly saw a shrew. That's her words. In my tears, I cried out to God. But then I read 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter we're going to be studying. And in reading that, she said, five words leapt out at me. Without love, I am nothing. And she kind of realized that her life had become a gong show, you know, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And she wrote those words, without love, I'm nothing. And she actually taped them to her bathroom mirror, taped them to her car, taped them to her computer screen at work so she could see them all the time. And here's what she wrote. She said, I realized that the single most important thing I could do was to love my family. So I began to live my life by the love of Jesus. I began to run my home on love power. It was as transforming as when I accepted Christ into my life. Focusing on love brought the happiness back into my life in our home. Guys, this could be a life-changing series for some of you. Like who knows what God could do in, in your home, in your family, in your relationship and your your work with friends and relatives who knows what God will do if you slow down step away from the gong show and invest the time to dive deep into a life that runs on 
love power, the love of Jesus Christ. Things can change. Hearts can be healed. Some of you need healing in your heart. If you have a cold relationship, guess what? Passions can be rekindled. Relationships can be repaired. With Christ, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. So this fall, get on board. Love is coming to your town, to your home, to your church, and it's going to ripple out into this world that God loves so much. Amen? Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a God of love. No, you are love. It is your essence. It is your character. It is your being. Even right now, if we don't feel it, you are radiating radical, sacrificial love towards each man and woman here. You call us sons and daughters because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm praying right now for people who maybe they feel a little cold, God. It just they're not... You're not feeling it in their heart. Father God, would you right now send your Holy Spirit? I pray that you'd begin warming up cold hearts, breaking down walls and relationships. God, I'm praying for families in our church that will be transformed as we open up our lives to Christ. I'm praying for marriages, Lord, that need to be resurrected and rekindled. In fact, if you're here today and you're like, man, I've got somebody in my life who's going through that quiz, and there's, Tim, there's somebody who I know God is calling me to a deeper level of love with. Could you just raise your hand real quick just so I can pray for you? Just raise your hand. Yeah, tons of hands. Yeah, we're going to just say their name in your heart. Father, we're lifting up these names right now to you. And Father, may we become less so they experience more of Christ through us. Father, help us. We want to receive your grace. We want to feel your forgiveness so that it bubbles out of us into the lives around us and transforms our whole world. So we ask that you would do it through the power of your Holy Spirit. (laughs) We just surrender, we just confess, we've got no strength, no ability to do this on our own. But we have the Holy Spirit, which is the power of love that fuels the universe. So flow it now through your people as we open our lives and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, Amen. amen, amen.